Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. Okay, so last week we started um, kind of the back half of this series where we're going to go through what are commonly known as the five points of Calvinism. And we, we discussed how those points, you know, the acrostic tulip came out of a, a rebuttal for what the followers of Ar- Arminius put out um, with, their five, with their five points. So we started with total depravity. And we talked about how d- total depravity is not that we're each as bad as we could be, but every part of our being is corrupted with sin. We talked about what that leads to uh, is that outside of the saving grace of Christ, all we can choose is sin. Uh, that even our most righteous deeds are filthy rags. We see that in Isaiah 64. Um, and where we get that from is Jonathan Edwards talked about how we always choose, and all the decisions that we make when we're talking about free will, that all of us always choose what we want the most. Uh, so even, you know, we're talking about why did I decide to pre-make coffee this morning? I had to grind the beans. I had to pour the water. It's a lot of work. I could have just went to Starbucks but I didn't want to pay $6 for a coffee, but I wanted coffee enough to think it's really going to benefit me this morning, is what I decided was the most important thing for me to do. And in the same way, when it comes to glorifying God and making decisions uh, for Him, outside of Christ, you can only choose to glorify yourself. Christ comes in and He can then change your, your mind, and you're able to, by God's grace, uh, as 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, uh, try to do all things for the glory of God. Um, and then we talked about the Pelagian view and the semi-Pelagian view uh, counteracted with the Augustinian view. Does anyone remember kind of the main points on those two? What does the Pelagian side believe and what does the Augustinian side believe? No, it's not. No, it's, that, that, we'll get there in a, in a little bit. Now, this had to do with, um, we were talking about the key word being ability. You guys remember that? We were talking about ability. Yes. So the Pelagian view was this, that uh, his, his belief system was God demands perfection. He, he demands righteousness. And if he's going to create you with that goal, he is going to give you the ability to be righteous. That's what Pelagian said. Augustine, on the opposite end, said the standard is righteousness and we could never achieve it. And that is why God had to send his son so that through him we could have righteousness. And clearly we, we would side with the Augustinian side here. We, we believe that's really what Ephesians 2 teaches. Um, and then finally, to, to wrap up what we didn't get to talk about last week, and I'll go through this really quickly, was that we, and this is not on your notes, this is just a recap, uh, that there, there are consequences for our uh, depravity. There are consequences for our sin. And, and those consequences are um, primarily that we stand at, at enmity with God, or that we are, outside of Christ, enemies of him. Because we have chosen to live our lives for our own glory, and not for his, and those stand uh, in far opposite worlds. Um, and that's a problem. Um, and the second consequence of this is our only hope, 
Our only hope is to be rescued, right? I love that, you know, we, we, we often call Jesus a savior. And I think we can say that often forgetting what that, what that implies. And that implies that all of us need to be rescued. Um, and so we're going to talk about being rescued uh, this morning. So, okay. Um, unconditional election. I'll, I'll start with this Spurgeon quote because I'll, I'll read this quote and he'll summarize unconditional election better than I will for the next 30 minutes. And then I'm just going to try to keep up with him. So he says this, I believe the doctrine of election because I'm quite certain that if God had not chosen me, I should never have chosen him. And I am sure he chose me before I was born or else he never would have chosen me afterwards. And he must have elected me for reasons unknown to me. For I never could find in myself why he should have looked upon me with special love. So I'm forced to accept that great biblical doctrine. It's amazing, Spurgeon, uh, one, of, one of the greatest uh, communicators of the word of God. Uh, and here, he just gives you rational thinking, right? So he, he does three things. He said, uh, if God had chosen me, I, I would have clearly never chosen him. And I, probably many of you can relate to that before you were a Christian. You think, man, outside of God's grace or someone coming to me with the gospel, I was never looking to choose God. But he came in and rescued me. And then secondly, he says, but I know he chose me before I was born or he would have never chosen me afterwards because he can look at his life and say, man, my life was a mess. Why would God choose me? I, I've never done things good. I've never glorified him in all things I did. And he came and chose me because he loved me, not because of what I did. And then finally, uh, he says, he must have elected me for reasons unknown to me because I could never look at myself uh, with that sort of love. And man, that is, that is a beautiful quote um, that I think sets us up well. And just a question, how, how many, this is a couple questions. So raise your hand if you fall into one of these categories. Raise your hand if you grew up attending church. If you don't believe that we're in the Bible Belt now, now you do. So that's probably 90%, which is fantastic. Now raise your hand if you grew up in a church that taught uh, this doctrine of election as summarized by Spurgeon. Did you grow up in a church that taught predestination doctrine? Raise your hand. Now that's good, right? You see that? that that's a good... Uh, far asking question that you don't often see, right? 90%, I grew up in church. 5%, this was something that was taught. Raise your hand if you think Faith Bible teaches this. Okay. <laughs> I just wasn't sure now, honestly. Um, no, I, I know what the church is. I wasn't sure if you knew. Uh, uh, you're going to have to talk, that, talk to Ernie Bryson uh, something about that. I'm not here to, I'm just here to talk. Uh, so, I remember I was in the car shortly after I became a Christian. I was going on a long drive with one of my best friends. And he's a lot smarter than me. Um, not sure if that's saying a lot, but he is. And uh, we had just became Christians within the last year or two, and uh, we somehow start talking about theology. Um, and ultimately, you know, at some point in a, a general conversation of theology, this is going to be brought up. And uh, he's, he's a godly, godly man, and uh, I, re I remember telling him, oh, yeah, like, 
I'm reformed, I, I believe in election, predestination, all that. And, and he goes, uh, I don't. Let me, let me tell you what I believe. So he says, imagine you're out in the ocean and you're drowning. You can barely stay afloat in the water, but God sees you and he loves you and he has compassion for you. He sees you drowning and he throws you a life raft and all you have to do is reach out and grab the raft. And he'll pull you in. And I thought, man, that sounds great. Like, I was like, yeah, sure. I, I believe that. That sounds, that sounds right to me. Um, but as I grew in my faith, uh, and as he grew in his faith, he's, he's walking with God and, and he's very intelligent. I began to see that the scriptures painted a, a much different picture for what that scene looks like. And I thought, as I was preparing this, what are the possibilities, you know, in a, situa- in a real-life situation, what are the, the three possibilities could, you know, for the most part, I guess there's lots of variables, shark comes, um, but what, what could happen in a situation like that? So I gave you three options, uh, and each option parallels uh, with a theological position. So here's the first option. You are not drowning, uh, God has given you the ability to swim. So you're out in the water, and you have the God-given ability to swim your way to the boat. You don't need the raft. Uh, you have the choice on whether you want to go to the boat in which God is in or not. Anyone want to take a guess on what view that would be? The Pelagian view. I think someone said that. Uh, that's the Pelagian view. Uh, no, notice the parallels here. The God-given ability you are good enough on your own to figure it out. Um, to, to preface, uh, our church would, would classify that under heresy. Um, and and what, that, what that would mean is uh, we don't believe in any way, shape, or form uh, that left to your own accord outside of the mercy of Christ that you can, you can uh, become a Christian, that, that you are wholly dependent on him. Um, and then option two and option three, Option two is the, the picture I just painted for you. Any, anyone have a guess on what view that would be? The Arminian view, correct. That's option two. Uh, and option three, I'm not going to lie, I, I stole this imagery from Shylin. Uh, so he's, he's a Christian rapper who wrote a song called Election. And honestly, I thought about playing it, but I wasn't sure how it was going to land, uh, if I can be uh, completely candid with you. So if you're curious how that song goes, it's, it's honestly, it's fantastic. He's reformed and... Uh, does a really good job of explaining the biblical doctrine of election. Let's write down S-H-A-I-L-I-N-N-E, election. And I think you'll learn a lot from that. Uh, but this is kind of how he, he painted the picture, and I, I think it makes a lot of sense. Uh, you're not swimming. You're not fighting. You're dead. You're in the water, drowned. Uh, you're not breathing. You're not fighting for air. But God sees you. And he has compassion for you. And he loves you. And he loves you so much that he's not, you know, trying to lasso you in. But he goes into the water and he grabs you and takes you out and breathes life into you. And then you come to life. Uh, that would be the reformed view. Um, you know, and you could, the biblical view, you could say. Uh, <laughs> depending on how, there's lots of words that that would fall. A lot of people believe that, and I didn't. I, I think the Reformed view does a good job of separating from the Arminian view. 
Um, so we're going to stick and, and we're going to refer back to option two throughout this time as, as we study God's word this morning. Um, but for the most part, my goal in this is to you to see the biblical rationale for option three. Uh, and I understand that for, you know, there's a hundred of you or so in the room that you either possibly have never heard of this before. And, you know, it, it can be, uh, it, it can rattle you a little bit to, you know, think in such a, uh, what's the word, uh, abstract view of the way that God saves us. It's instead of just looking, you know, you know, I've trusted in Christ on my own. It's, it's a challenge to, to study this, and you, you may have never done that before. So my hope is, you know, as we study this, you, you can refer back to this and refer back to other teachers who uh, hold to, to views on election. Uh, but also, there's probably some of you in this room who maybe don't believe that this is what God's Word teaches, and just really thankful uh, for you and uh, your love for Christ. And I, I hope that uh, we can just have a nice... It's not really a discussion since I'm the one up here talking. But if you have questions or concerns or thoughts, I'm not going to be rattled by you, hopefully. Uh, and if I am, then well done. So please feel free at any point to be like, stop. I don't understand. I don't believe you. I need clarification. Uh, and we'll talk. I would really like that, actually. So let's go. So predestination in the Bible. Uh, I want to pull Webster's Dictionary for this, the Webster's Dictionary definition. Uh, it means to destine, to decree, to determine, to appoint, or to settle beforehand. And here's the interesting thing about predestination in the Bible, is no matter what view you hold or option that you would say, I, I align here, is you can't disagree that the word is found in the Bible, right? So that, that is kind of our starting point is, you know, we, you can look at each of these passages among many, many others, but very clearly, uh, you see the word predestined. Uh, and so what that means is, at some time beforehand, uh, God is determining uh, where you will spend eternity. Now, the question is, is what does that mean? And, th and that is where there's some differences uh, between <clears throat> option three and option two, and, and I'm going to get into that uh, a little bit further down under conditional election, unconditional election. But I just want to read uh, a couple of these passages really quickly um, just to kind of see what picture is being painted um, in just a few verses by the Apostle Paul. So here's what he says in Ephesians 1, uh, 4 through 5 and verse 11. Even as he chose us in him, and, and maybe I'll say this too before I read this. Uh, R.C. Sproul uh, I don't know if you know, but I like him. Uh, he had this, he, he was an Arminian when he became a Christian uh, and was wrestling through these things in seminary. And he was pastoring, uh, like an associate pastor at church while he was in seminary. And he wrote something on a note card at his desk and it said, uh, it doesn't matter what you think the Bible says, uh, preach what the Bible says. Uh, and he said ultimately through that and uh, among a few other things is how he uh, landed in, in the reformed camp. But I, I think even for us who said, man, I, I believe in uh, unconditional election or whether or not, I think just let's let the scripture uh, speak for itself and then uh, we're going to spend a good bit of time just going through a chapter of the Bible a little bit later. So Ephesians 1, 4 through 5 and 11. 
Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Now I'm going to flip over to Romans 8 and read um, 29 and 30. 28 and 29, sorry. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And whom he justified, he also glorified. So in verse 30, does anyone know what that's called? It's a a Latin phrase. The order salutis. So it's it's Paul giving kind of an order of salvation. I don't know if you're familiar with this, but if you read, uh, you know, verses 29 through verses 30, you see kind of like, uh, a step. It's predestined to called, to justified, to glorified. I don't know if you've seen that verbiage before, but what the Apostle Paul is getting at is, you know, how does one become a Christian? At some point, uh, God chooses you before time, and then during your life, he calls you. That's the moment you become a Christian. And in that calling, you're also justified. So you're made right before God, imputed righteousness of Christ. Uh, and then upon Death entering into heaven, you're glorified and, and given. Uh, you know, you're, you're really uh, being able to be enabled by Christ's perfect record uh, in heaven. So, oh, I'm not. No, no, I'm good. No, the the handout. Oh yeah, yeah. I thought you were talking about my handout. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Um, so, two competing ideas here, conditional election and unconditional election. Um, so here would be kind of what option two would be saying. So this is actually in your handout. Uh, God in his foreknowledge knew you would choose him. God in his foreknowledge knew you would choose him. So this is what my friend would believe in regards to uh, what predestination is talking about in the Bible. Uh, That God in his knowledge knew that I would ultimately choose Christ at some point in my life. Um, And, you know, then there's lots of variables that kind of come from how that gets to be. But the the main point is you were predestined, but you were predestined because of uh, something in your character, some, something in your life, something uh, that you have uh, done that would lead to faith. That's conditional election. Makes sense. Like when you say your love is conditional on something, uh, means, okay, my love is conditional for you as long as you clean the house or as long as you make a lot of money or as long as you are nice to me. That's conditional. When unconditional would be if you're not nice to me, I still love you. If you don't wash the dishes, I still love you, right? Unconditional versus conditional. Uh, an unconditional election is God in his foreknowledge chose you. And so we see that in verse 29, how we would see that passage is God saw you, he saw you 
in your sin, dead in your trespasses and sins, uh, and intervened and saved you. So, that's an overview uh, in 15 minutes of what the doctrine of election is. Um, no, you won't be tested. Uh, but, you know, maybe Ernie or Bryce will test you, and then, you know, you have to blame them for years of preaching if you know it or not. Okay, so how I want to spend the most of our time this morning um, is I want to study Romans 9. Uh, so this would be uh, probably the most convincing uh, chapter of Scripture in regards to unconditional election. Um, I was, I don't, how many of you know who Martin Lloyd-Jones is? Or is that name familiar with you? Okay, this guy, he's, ama- he's an amazing, godly man. Uh, he, he preached something like 350 sermons to the book of Romans. I don't know how many years that is. It's a lot of years. Uh, he did 25 on Romans 9. And I'm just thinking, man, that's like a verse a week for multiple months. Uh, so I, I think, you know, that, that is what it is, you know, preaching a verse a week for 10 years. But uh, we're going to go through the chapter in 20 minutes. So... Uh, we're going we're to do our best, try to cover as much as possible, but I, I think our hope would be is that we would, we would see kind of what Spurgeon, what uh, you know, this rich, rich theologians have been pointing to. Um, and again, at any point, uh, you know, are there any questions at, at this point? I know we went through that pretty quick. Feel free to ask or to clarify something. Yeah, Rick. No, but yes. Uh, so it's, it's a tricky thing. So, so what, what God sees, so this is the, the, the beautiful picture, is you know, you look at in the Gospels when uh, God looks at Jesus and says, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased, right? That's, that's one of like the most beautiful verses of scripture because we see uh, what sonship is like, what, what adoption is like, and even what we're reading in, Romans and Ephesians, that we are predestined for adoption. We're predestined for sonship. Um, In your current state and in my current state, uh, we are far from glorified. Uh, You know, we, in in this time, probably we've sinned multiple times, and uh, the hope is that in our glorified state in eternity, that sin will no longer exist. So that's what glorified means. but the hope of glorification is something that I think we can trust in now. And that hope is, is that we are resting in the righteousness of Christ that has been imputed to us. Um, so, no, we're not glorified yet, but that is the hope to come, which we can cling to right now. Good question. Any others? You know, the insecurities of teaching. I'm going to give you one right now. So either, when, when you're asking for questions, either two things is happening. You're either doing an amazing job. So I'm doing so good. So good that you have mastered the content. Uh, or two, uh, and there's other things. I could, or two, you have no idea what I'm saying. So, uh, yes. Oh, that is a great question. Thanks for asking that. Uh, so what... Um, what was asked was, do these scriptures promote double predestination? Does anyone know what double predestination is? 
Right. So, so it would be. So, if you look at the, if you look at these texts and say you are predestined for adoption, right? Great news. We're excited. We love that, right? That God chose you and saved you for sonship or daughtership, uh, and that you are going to be redeemed as a result of that. Uh, the double part would be the opposite view, that if God chooses some, that He chooses others uh, to go to hell, and that that would be. Um, that view. And, right, and we're going to talk about that in Romans chapter 9 here in a little bit, and I will talk a little bit about, um, I think there are two, two biblical views on double predestination, one that I would lean towards, um, but I can just give you those now. No, I'm going to wait it out. We're going to let the text speak for itself. I'm going to practice what I preach. So, Romans chapter 9, uh, and then just throughout our time, this is just going to kind of be uh, hopefully a little bit more interactive and uh, feel free to stop me, but I'm going to just make points as we, we go through and hopefully it's helpful. Um, I think just speaking on something that is obviously uh, important and sometimes hard to hear, I think just going to the text is the best thing we can do. So um, Paul in Romans chapter 9, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying my conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. Quick pause. We read that. Why would Paul say that? I'm, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. Because the preceding verses he was talking about, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And so for that contemporary time, you know, someone would say, what about Israel? Hmm. God, I cast them away. If they're not even believed, they killed their own yeah yeah so what Blake's saying is uh, Paul just gives these really affirming things and he's well what about what about Israel and, and the people there uh, will they be cast aside what, what else why would Paul say this I'm not lying to you yeah Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's talking about um, just the reality of yeah of what of what's to come in the next few verses about his love for his people, and yeah that we can trust what he's going to say. And you know I would even argue. Uh, that what he's going to say is going to be really challenging to hear. Yeah, yeah, people who are objecting to the apostleship of Paul... Um, yeah, it's very common. We see that in a lot of his epistles. And this is not something that's just unique to Romans chapter 9. He says this in, in multiple other places in the New Testament. So Paul's making a truth declaration here um, with hard things to follow. And he starts off in verses uh, 2 through 5 with, with some of those hard things. And um, I, I honestly think part of this is really beautiful, though, what he's about to say. 
um, that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinship according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race according to the flesh is the Christ who is God over all. Blessed forever. Amen. You just see the compassion that Paul has for his, for his kinsmen. I mean, it is amazing, right? I mean, his heart is longing for them to know the truth. Longing for them. So much so uh, that Paul uh, uses the word anathema here. And do you guys remember where we last talked about anathema? Back in the solas and the Catholic Church... Uh, issued anathemas for anyone who believed in anything other than they were teaching that if you believe these truths that you were saved by faith alone through grace alone that you will be cursed that's what the catholic church taught about uh people who believe the reform doctrines and paul is using the same word to let let me be cursed if if they can if i'll do anything for my for my kinsmen my people my family my brothers my sisters to know who jesus is to know the truth I'll do anything, so much so that I would be accursed for them. Uh, that is amazing love. Uh, that is amazing love. Um, that he longs for his people to know him. And, yeah, sorry. In reading this, then, are you saying that all of Israel was under the covenant? All were considered saved, uh, protected? No, I'm not saying that. Um, and I, I think the... Where we would know that is we can look back to Romans chapter 2. Uh, in Romans chapter 2, Paul talks about the circumcision of the heart and the circumcision of the flesh. Um, says many were circumcised of the flesh, and so that would be the Old Testament sign of the covenant. So the, the outward sign of being one of God's people. But the inward side was being uh, circumcised of the heart. And you know this is something that we would even uh, believe in now. Would, you know, this is the talking about you know the universal or the the visible church versus the invisible church. So the, the visible church would be this. It's all of us here, uh, worshiping the preaching of God's word. We're together, fellowship, encouragement, all of those things. Uh, but just because you're in the building uh, doesn't mean that you're actually a follower of Christ, or doesn't mean that you're you're actually in a relationship with Him. The invisible church is all of those throughout the world who are in relationship with Christ? No, it's a great question. Um, and we, we see Moses saying the same thing in Exodus 32, uh, 30. He says, um, but, now if you will forgive their, but now if you will forgive their sin, uh, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you've written. Moses advocating for his people in the same way. Well, I think my hope is, we don't, I don't have time to dialogue on this question, but my, I, I think we should be challenged uh, by the heart that Paul and Moses have here for people who don't know Christ. I think just even that you and I should be challenged. Is, is our heart breaking for the lost in the same way that theirs are? You know, even when we look at Matthew 9, Jesus had compassion for the people. Uh, do you have compassion on the people? And do I have compassion on the people for those who don't know Christ? Um, man, Paul's going to the far extreme. I would sacrifice my relationship with you for, all, for these people to know you. Um, it's beautiful. But that's not where we're going today. We're talking about predestination, so we've got to keep going. Okay, 
Verse 6, but it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all the children of Abraham because there is offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. Uh, this would be the same parallel as Romans chapter 2, um, talking about circumcision of the heart versus circumcision of the flesh, the invisible church. Um, Let's keep going. Verse 9. This is where uh, we start to see a, a turning point. For this is what the promise said. About this time next year I will return and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac. Though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue. Not because of works, but because him who because of him who calls. She was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Okay. This is a pivotal point in the passage. And here's why. You know, for the first 12 verses, uh, we see a lot of uh, broad statements that could cover a lot of people. The people of Israel. uh, The children of the covenant. But here, Paul gives you two individuals. He says this is not just a broad nationalistic belief, but this is, this is very personal. So we see two people, Jacob and Esau. Um, and we see one really affirming word. We see that Jacob I loved. And it's an amazing picture of embrace and relationship but we see the opposite, and this is where the, the double predestination scripture would come in. Um, that Esau, I hated. Um, so, for one, we see that God loved one, embraced one, but at the same time, we have to see that there is a level of rejection that comes with Esau as well. Uh, and that's challenging, right? That might not be sitting well in your stomach right now. Uh, you, you struggle with that, you wrestle with that, and I think that's good. And I think what's so uh, amazing about this passage was Paul knew what the reader was going to think. He knew that the reader would also be like, dang, like, I don't know if God's fair. That doesn't, that doesn't sound fair to me. Well, Paul uh, addresses this immediately after he says this in verses 14 and on. He says, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. I think I want to pause here for a second. I think this is really important and why, among other reasons, I really believe in unconditional election. Why would Paul even address this if election was conditional? Why would Paul uh, say, have to question, is there injustice? Why would we even be thinking about injustice on God's part if this was somehow left up to you and I? Right? I think that's, uh, a really fair question for us to ask. If, if this really came down to you just grabbing the raft, then it's on you. It's on me to just grab the raft. Um, but Paul is saying, you saw love, Jacob I hated. I know you might be thinking in, there's injustice here because this sounds unfair. Uh, and that's where Paul goes from here and that's where we're going to keep talking about. But I think that's an important point to look at. 
For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then, it depends not on human will or exertion, important point, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then, he has mercy on whomever he wills, and hardens whomever he wills. So, Paul is saying there's no injustice here. And and I think that's important for us to know because when we look at the character of God, the supreme character of God, I don't know if I can say that, but I believe the supreme character of God is his holiness. God's holiness. His overall set-apartness from us. Why? God is righteous and we are not. And I think that's important to know even as we study a passage like this where we see a separation that God views one differently than the other is that God is perfectly righteous. He's set apart. Uh, And also, in light of that, it means God cannot be unrighteous, but another God's second characteristic, at least uh, to me, would be his sovereignty. So his overall omniscience, power over all things. He's, he's in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases. That is a, an issue of the sovereignty and power of God. Um, and we see that here in this passage. That God has the power, the ability, but not only that, he has the right to extend mercy on whomever he wishes and to extend compassion on whomever he wishes. Um, and we see two examples of that here. And cl- clearly we see that in Moses and, and the mercy extended to Moses in his life. And, and you, you look throughout all of the, the life stages of Moses, constantly mercy is given to him uh, throughout his disobedience. But we see the opposite, the hardening of the heart as well uh, and what's done with Pharaoh. And, and this is where I think they're... Yeah, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> um, but, but a hardening of the heart of Pharaoh as well. And, and what, what we can, at the very least, what we can sum up through that is that there, there is a rejection, that Pharaoh is left to his evil um, and mercy is extended to Moses. Paul continues on, says, you will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder? Why have you made me like this? And Paul, again, is using imagery here for a reason, uh, that you and I are simply the created, uh, created image of God, we're clay. And, and he's the potter who can shift that clay uh, into whatever he pleases. Um, so are there, quick pause, because I need to wrap up in five minutes. Are there any questions on uh, this? This is really heavy, a lot, all at once. Any, any thoughts on Romans 9 so far? Mm-hmm. what really helped me a lot was saying, do you want fair? Do you want just? Well, that's all of us going to help. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's fair. Yeah. Um, and, and that really helped if you have that kind of a, a base fact, then it's like, okay, that's, that's fair. So you can't argue mm-hmm. about this isn't fair. And then it helps you to appreciate that for whatever reason, that God has chosen some. For whatever reason, I don't know, but then it makes you appreciate 
that. That yeah. helped me a lot yeah. in working through this whole concept. Yeah, it's, it's really helpful, you know, even as we sing songs on grace and forgiveness and we hear it, hear it taught and we extend it to one another, uh, it's so important to see, especially before God and, and many times with, with others, that we're so undeserving of forgiveness. Um, and, I, and I think the, the most helpful way to, to execute that thought is, uh, and I think this is what you're saying, but to just look at yourself and to look at uh, your thoughts and your uh, motives and the way that you have lived your life for however many years and if you do that uh, with any sort of uh, fair standard, that you would, you would see that we're all very deeply flawed, um, that we are uh, in need of mercy, that we long to please ourselves, that we long to glorify ourselves, uh, and we need someone to intervene for us. And uh, you know, thanks be to God that Jesus came and intervened on our behalf. But yeah, that's great. Any other thoughts or questions for this? Yeah, Kathy, that's a really good point. And I think there's two sides to that as well. I think there is a, a side for us that, you know, why does God choose him and not him? And to some extent, we, we actually can answer that, right? It's because he has mercy on some and compassion on others, and he sits in the heavens and does whatever he pleases. But at the same time, I, I think for, you know, there's so many things even in my own, in my own life and faith that I struggle with uh, and to understand and to see clearly how is God really using this for my good? And, and I, I think those are questions that we all should be wrestling with. Like we, we need to take a topic like this or you know, any, any issue in, in our lives and our faith and we should wrestle with them. Uh, we, we should not have a doubt or a struggle and say, no, and this is not what you're saying, but I think this could be the extreme is, I'm just not gonna worry about that. Like I'm, I'm, I'm just gonna, you know, I'm just going to keep showing up, and, and hopefully, eventually, I'll get it. But there, there should be a, a study and, and a hunger for what God is teaching us, and I think that's been something that I've been going through for ever since I've been a Christian. Yeah. Right. Yes. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. So in order for us to see mercy and grace, we have to have to see yeah our sin. It's good. Um, someone once said to me, "I would not want to belong to a religion where people are chosen." Mm. And this is what's happening in our world where they're preaching this love. We all love one another. We accept one another. We're all together in this. No one is chosen. We're all chosen. And and I think that division is becoming more and more today's world uh, what God is, is leading to all of us yeah. uh, because of seeing more and more of this um, we don't want a, a faith where certain people are chosen mm-hmm. so they evidently understand but they're applying it yeah I mean, I mean they're, they're reading a passage like this and, and doing the opposite of what the Paul, Apostle Paul is saying um and I understand that, you know, I, I think I can really sympathize and empathize uh, with that because I believe that myself and 
have struggled with that. And so I, I would even just say, like, if that is something that you're wrestling with or struggling with to, uh, to not run 180 degrees the opposite direction, say, it's, I can't believe what the Bible teaches because I just don't agree with that logic. Um, I think that that would be a, uh, candidly an unwise thing to do. Uh, I think primarily we need to be resting uh, in just the historical accuracy of who Jesus is. You know, he really lived, he really died, he really rose from the dead. Uh, he came to atone for our sin, and, and that is our ultimate trust. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, question. Well said. Yeah, well said. That uh, when we see who, I mean, this is Isaiah 6. This is Isaiah standing before God and, and saying, wretched man am I. And God comes and out of love and compassion atones for his sin. And, and I'm going to say a couple more things uh, before we wrap up. But my hope is that that's where we go uh, directly into, into our service this morning is that we are coming with that mindset. Um, and wretched man or woman am I, but thanks be to God. Uh, for, for sending Christ. I uh, pray that that's our hope. But I, I just want to say, how should unconditional election impact us? That's how I ended this. Just want to give you just a little bit of application. Uh, the first is this, that all praise, glory, and honor goes to the one who is able to extend mercy. Um, so we want to keep our eyes off of ourselves, and we want to fixate them towards Christ. Um, that even this morning, as we hear God's word, as we fellowship and worship with one another, um, that, that we're constantly being reminded of the one who is the one giving us the mercy. That is, that is my hope and prayer for all of us in this room for the rest of our lives, that we would see God's mercy and fixate on that. And second, uh, I said it three times, I think it's biblical, compassion, compassion, compassion. Um, uh, for those who don't know Christ, our, our heart should echo what Paul's saying. Uh, and we would, we would do whatever it takes, biblically speaking, uh, to see others come to know him. And we see that really clearly because in the next chapter, it's one of the first verses I memorized, is Romans 10, 14 through 15. It says, how can we call on whom they have not believed? And how can they believe in whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching? Um, and there's a sense that all of us need to hear that we all need to go preach. Uh, not from up there, but just in our lives. Uh, but even, you know, for those who maybe uh, disagree with this doctrine, but yet love Christ, um, our, our hope should be that they would, they would love him above all things, and that under that umbrella that they would treasure God's word and, and seek truth. Um, so, if you have any questions, I will, uh, I'll be around and would love to talk to you. But I'm going to pray, and we'll get ready for, for service this morning. God, I, I can say um, God, very openly, God, that I often uh, wrestle with the idea of why me? God, why, uh, why would you choose a, a fallen, broken man? Um, God, I'm so thankful for mercy. God, I'm so thankful for, God, all of the, God, all the times in my life that I can point to and say, I would not have chosen you. I would, I would not have followed you. Uh, and so many but God's. Um, God, and I just, 
I pray that that would echo true for every man and woman in this room. Uh, God, I pray that that would be true at one point for every child in this building. God, that you would redeem us. God, that you would save us. Um, God, that uh, we would authentically be able to come and worship you. I just pray that that would be true this morning. God, that we would see your mercy, your grace, your holiness. Uh, God, and we would praise you for who you are this morning. Um, God, thankful for this time and for this church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.